welcome to the City of the Great King podcast with your host, Tyler Swatsky. That's me. Hello. How we doing? I just started lifting some new weights. Started on some heavier weights. I am sore in the good way. The good way of being sore. That feels good. You know, I saw a tweet earlier today. A man owes it to his family to lift weights. Hmm. What do you think about that? A man owes it to his family to lift weights. Hey, that's that's challenging to hear right there. With all the positive benefits of it, though, I see why somebody would say that. Even if it's a very simplistic statement. Maybe that inspires someone to do some lifting. Let me know if it does. Welcome to episode 11 of the CGK podcast. Uh... If you listened last week, first of all, thank you for that. Uh, you noticed, or you'll remember that in the beginning of that one, I mentioned that I was bringing a donation option for this week, and ya boy did it. So there is now a donation option uh, for those who are finding value in this and have the means to be able to support. Uh, the link for it, it goes through Patreon. It's on Facebook. It is on my Twitter bio. It's, it's on the website, and I, there should be a link to the website on both Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, but I've been told that that link sometimes doesn't work, so I might have to fix that, but lots of places to find it. I do have my first supporter. Yes. It, it's my mom. My mom is my first donator. I'm not joking. I gave her a call. I'm like, Mom, I just set this up. I need you to test it. Tell me if it works. <laughs> And so she donated. My first supporter is my mom. And I hope that makes all of you very happy. I'm not ashamed. God bless you, mom. Thank you. So that option is there. Uh, I'm going to move a little bit quickly. I'm going to try to move quickly today because I'm already feeling like this could be a long one. Uh, I do have a hard time limit. So let's get right into it. This is the second of a four-part series that I've called The Marriage Special. Yeah, even if you're unmarried, you're getting the marriage special, all right. And so this is number two. We talked about 10 principles to know before you get married last time. And today, the second part is living in a difficult marriage. I know a husband who he had a, he picked up a passion for writing. And so he started dipping his hand a little bit into writing and so he, he made something, he wrote something up and thought it was nice and whatever. He showed it to his wife, had her read it, and he's pretty excited to, to show her this and see what she thinks. She goes through it, she reads the little thing that he wrote and gave it back and said, it's all right, but it's nothing that I haven't read everywhere else. Oof. That man that husband shared a passion with his wife and he had a um, a stoic response in the moment but said that that in that moment was the most discouraging most defeated he could have felt and that is a time when a wife has an opportunity to accept what her husband has brought to her and even if he's not very good at it yet she has an opportunity to encourage to uplift 
to admire, to support. There are about a hundred thousand different ways that she could have turned that into an encouraging moment, but instead discouraged him, demeaned what he had done, diminished him, devalued him, disrespected him. And you don't, I'm going to say that you don't get to that point of a wife discouraging her husband rather than encouraging in a vacuum. That, that's a difficult thing right there. If that's happening, that's indicative of a not very healthy marriage. But to be at that point, there has probably been a hundred ways leading up to the marriage being in that state where she would, re- where she would react like that. Like the marriage was already difficult before she discouraged him openly like that. There's another story I know of a, of a wife whose husband, after the, the kids go to bed, uh, nearly nightly, frequently and regularly ignores her and spends the evening playing video games and making online worlds rather than investing in the world with his wife here. So all day he works, she'll, she'll take care of the kids, kids go to bed. She's looking to maybe spend some time with her husband, and nearly nightly, he's, he'd rather talk to his digital friends, rather build cities on a computer or whatever, or shoot people in, on, on the TV than spend that time with his wife. And that too, instead of him giving her what she needs, which is his presence, him to be near to her, he's decided that investing in an online world is better than investing in his real world. And that too is a very difficult spot. You're in a difficult marriage if that's where you are. And that didn't come in a vacuum. The marriage probably broke down a hundred different ways before he got to that point. What I'm getting at here is the reality of marital difficulties or the nature even of marital difficulties. And even if not every marriage is going to look at all like the two stories I just told, every single marriage has marital difficulties, all of them. I think we have sold a false bill of goods to young people, to those who are not married, uh, about what marriage is. They have this idyllic perspective and, and image of what marriage is like it's this fairy tale it's so romantic all the time sparks are always flying and everyone's excited and and you just so breeze breezily get through all your issues and you're so sensitive and provide for one another all the time <laughs> and then anybody who's been married or is married knows that that's that's not how it is the majority of the time marriage is monotonous it is repetition it's kind of same old in a way. You you live a normal life and you have it now with your with your spouse and you're building that life together. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of beauty in marriage. But it is true that every good marriage you see, especially if it's it's older couples, that's where we see probably I think the the best examples of healthy marriages is from older couples who have gone through this for some time. And what you see is a healthy marriage. You see a happy husband, a satisfied wife who take joy in one another and you can feel the love and it makes you smile when the old couple is still so in love. You know what I'm talking about. You see that. What you don't see 
are the years-long arguments that they had and had to get through. You didn't see all the sin that they had to forgive in each other, all the repenting that they needed to do to each other, the prayers they needed to do, the time when one of them thought about leaving, the time when the other one wouldn't have minded if they did. You get to see the end product of a long process of work, devotion, faithfulness. I brought up the lifting weights earlier. It's like, to use, no analogy's perfect, but it's like seeing, if I see a picture of some shirtless gym bro and he's got this, he's shredded, he's got this six pack, he's, he's built all over his body. And I think that if I go to the gym one day that I'm gonna come out looking like looking like that. Right, you would know that that's absurd. He had to put a ton of work into the gym, into his eating habits, into his mental state. There a lot of work went into getting that type of body. Same thing with the women. And so, but for some reason, we can look at this picture of marriage, and I think we also get this uh, totally unrealistic view of marriage from Hollywood, from movies, from books. And they are it's predatory they're trying to appeal to senses that are given to you by cre- in creation by god and they're trying to get get to your wallet from appealing to those natural senses but you can think that now that you're married because you have all these feelings for somebody that you're going to fight fairly all the time that you're not going to say something completely rude and unacceptable to your spouse meanwhile every single older couple who you see, who is satisfied and joyful in one another, most certainly they have said things to each other that they wish they could have taken back, but they had to go through it. They had to learn. You build a marriage. You don't just have the perfect image of a marriage. It takes a lot of work, and every marriage has difficulties. We usually take these difficulties and narrow them down into a few major categories. I think the classic categories that often come up are money, kids and then sex and romance like so if the presenting issue is um we have no money well really what the one partner is saying is that the other partner is spending it all that that they they can't save at all they're just reckless in spending the money so whatever the presenting issue is we usually narrow them down to a few major categories except i don't think that necessarily goes far enough to take that money one again if one partner is saying that the other partner is contributing to this being a difficult marriage because they can't manage money they are reckless in their spending they don't save they just keep on spending and we never have enough for the extras in life so the issue that they're that they think is the primary issue here is money they're narrowing it down to that category but that's not really what the base problem is. The base problem is that this person is spending recklessly money because they are an irresponsible person. So their personality, their characteristics is one of irresponsibleness. They are, they are a reckless person and so then it, it shows itself through money. And if you take any of those major categories I mentioned, if you boil it down really, it always comes down to a characteristic. So my wife doesn't encourage me. She's, she's discouraging. Well, what you're really getting at is that they are um, 
they're an unpleasant person who doesn't know how to love or doesn't know how to respect. Like you're taking it to a characteristic and not just the outward action. Really what I'm getting at is that it boils down to a single issue. It's not primarily money, kids, or sex and romance. The primary issue is our personal sin stops us from being who we are supposed to be. Our, it's our personal sin, not your spouse's sin, your own, each of our own. I was at a, I heard a marriage seminar once and the presenter takes it to James chapter 3 in the Bible, James 3 verse 2, and it says this, for we all stumble in many ways. That's what it says. So you think that the problem in your marriage, if you're in a difficult marriage, is your spouse. Of course, we, you, everybody in a difficult marriage thinks that it's the other person who's primarily at fault. And the Bible says, yeah, they are at fault because they stumble in many ways. There's no getting around who it's, James is talking about there. It says, we all stumble in many ways. And oh, there's the catch-22. That means that you are also the most responsible for why your marriage is difficult. Some people are not going to want to hear that because they'll point out the major fault in their husband or in their wife and think, I don't do that. I'm not like that. I didn't, I didn't hurt them in that way. And yet, if that is your mindset, you have now made partiality between, especially if you're Christians, partiality in the Lord, that you are putting them under a different standard than you are putting yourself even. Because that, that, that verse applies to you too. You stumble in many ways with your sin. Each of you do. And so marriage is ultimately about you building this marriage in the, in the love, nurture, power, admonition of the Lord, despite both of you stumbling in many ways. You, you're doing this together. And that doesn't stop when you're 50 or you're 60 or you're 70. Because of our sin, we are wretchedly selfish. And I think the people who aren't ready to admit how wretchedly selfish they are are those who are either completely blind or they're lying. Because there's no room, there's no way around it. The majority of the things that we do is, if possibly all, some say that every single thing that we do ultimately comes back to getting a benefit for me. We are wretchedly selfish. And this gets to a primary biblical doctrine of depravity. We are depraved. I know that our culture likes to say, oh, you're good. Just be a good person. Will you go to heaven at the end of your life? Yeah, I'm a good person. No, you're not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been lied to. But our nature is not good. We're wretched. We are so selfish. The stories I told you about marriage earlier, that happens on a micro... Uh, cosm level every single day and every single marriage somebody is looking out for themselves first we're wretchedly selfish and yet two people who stumble in many ways who are married to each other we wouldn't necessarily say that they're all in difficult marriages the beautiful thing about this and about god's idea of marriage is that we can have legitimately beautiful marriages even though we are selfish and stumble in many ways because we're given the capacity to show grace to one another, to repent, to change, to grow, to be more holy, to be more sanctified. Those are big, big biblical words about doctrine, but essentially all it means is that 
we become more and more uh, like Christ. We become and act in better ways through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God. But naturally, uh, so, so we can be people who stumble in many ways and still have beautiful marriages by God's grace. So then the question is, who qualifies as being in a difficult marriage? And you're not in a difficult marriage just because you asked your husband if he would watch a chick flick with you and he said no. That he had something else he had to do that evening. You're not in a difficult marriage because he turned down a movie. Now, if he is turning down that movie every single night and he and and he refuses to spend time with you, okay, well, it's not actually about the movie now. It, that, that is about the fact that he's not being near to his wife. He's not being present to his wife. He's not attending to one of her needs. And the same type of, maybe a different scenario, but it can work the other way around too. Who qualifies as being in a difficult marriage? The we can have all types of ideas. Uh, when there's lots of fighting, uh, nope, that's not that's not the primary. You don't have to fight very much to be in a difficult marriage. Some of the worst marriages are those who never talk to each other, and it's just business-like. They don't fight, but it's a horrible marriage. Uh, th there's other things like that that we can say that that qualifies. Uh, that that's the definition. But no, it's it's actually a lot simpler than that. And it has major implications. But who qualifies as being in a difficult marriage is this. When one or both partners are consistently not having their needs met. When one or both partners are consistently not having their needs met. That's what qualifies as being in a difficult marriage. So this is important because... You might not, you will not have all of your needs met every single time they arise. There are times when one of the partners will get very sick. That, it'll probably happen. And you might have a particular need that they can no longer tend to because they are sick. And that's very hard, but they can recover. You know, maybe they had a week long, they're, they're stuck in bed, so many different things that you need uh, over the long haul that they couldn't provide you. But they, they'll recover, they'll come back, they'll bounce back. And so that's where the word consistently comes in. There's times when you have to lay down a need for the better of your partner or, or in grace to your partner even. If they're extremely tired, they have a lot of pressure on them at that time. Or maybe even they're struggling with a personal sin and they have shame. So you might not, you won't always have all of your needs met and you might get disappointed in those moments when they're not meeting one of your needs. The issue is not that they didn't meet that need. Of course, it'd be great if we always met our wife's needs every time they had them. Or if you could provide perfectly satisfactorily for your husband every single time he had a need. And yet we all know, especially when you have experience with marriage, that it just doesn't go that way and you won't do that. And so the key is, are they consistently not meeting their partner's needs? That's when you get into all the other issues about that I brought up earlier about money, kids, sex, romance, uh, and a bunch of other things. It's because their needs aren't met. So that's where the movie and uh, picture can be helpful because it's not she's she's asking him to watch a movie with her, but ultimately the movie like the movie doesn't matter. She wants a need met. And the need that she has is put there by God. And he's got needs too. So when, 
when he wants to spend time with his wife and he has ideas of what, about what that time looks like, there is a need that he wants to be met. And he is designed that way. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 5. I quoted Ephesians 5, just one verse of it last week. But in it, we get a very descriptive look at what some of the needs are that God put into this marriage dance, into this marriage relationship. So in Ephesians 5, beginning at chapter 20, or verse 22, it's going to start with the wives' responsibility, and then it'll get to the husbands. It starts by saying this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so very clearly that those couple verses there are directed towards women. Uh, it is saying that you are called to live in a way that follows his leadership, your husband's leadership, to submit to his direction of the family, of the house. Um, and that is part of your, not your duty to your husband, but your duty to Christ. That's the whole picture here. Christ is head of the church, his body. Like that, you're submitting in, in emulation, you submit to your husband. And what I want to point out here, is, though, is that implicitly, it's not just talking to women here. Men should be able to pick something up from this. In telling the wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, the implicit command to the husbands here is take leadership, step up, be responsible. God has designed her to need your leadership. I know that that is not popular in these hyper-feminist times to hear and in these egalitarian times to hear. And a lot, some of you need to do some deprogramming from, from the stuff that you have been raised with. But biblically speaking, and this is the God of the universe who inspires this writing, wives, it is her need, or to the husbands, it is your wife's need that she can trust securely in your leadership of her, that you are providing for her, that you are providing for her needs. And then it's going to get to the husbands, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, the husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, again, this is directed towards husbands, telling, commanding husbands, love your wives like Christ loves and gives himself up for the church. And this is also telling wives, then, that for you, you are, t that the need of the wife is that you be one who is soft with her, is gentle even with her, that you draw near to her, you give yourself up to her. That is her need, is for you to do that. And so to bring it to the movie thing, again, it's not about watching the movie. It's about you having the characteristics of one who gives himself up for her. She wants that. She's designed for that. And wives towards your husband, he is wired and designed to crave your respect and submission. He wants it. Even men who have been horribly programmed by culture, they are designed to want your respect and submission. It is currency for him that you would respect him. And I think that most uh, 
obviously shows through admiration. Do you compliment your husband? Do you do you encourage him? Do you admire him? I think I quoted last week that a man will fight a thousand armies for the admiration of one woman. And I think that is consistently true. So he's designed to want and need your respect and submission. And she is designed to need the husband's nearness, safety, provision, laying himself down for her. So you're in a difficult marriage then to answer the question when one or both of the partners are not having their needs met. When the husband is not doing what Ephesians 5 here is telling him to do. That's when you're in a difficult marriage. When one partner is no longer playing their role, playing their part, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so it ends up being a much deeper question than just, oh, you know, we fight a lot. Well, what really it gets down to is are they objectively doing and being what the Lord calls them to do and be? And then we move to the next part, which is, so now you're in that difficult marriage. Say that's you, and maybe some of you are already resonating with some of the stuff I'm saying, and you know, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the difficulties of marriage. What do I do? I'm in a difficult marriage. What do I do? Well, the first thing I would say is become a detective. Become a detective. What are the real reasons this marriage is difficult? The, the marriage is not difficult because... She's not excited about how you fixed up the car. The marriage isn't difficult because he's out with his friends, right? Like, we can become a little too simplistic and we don't dig deep enough. So find the real reasons that the marriage is difficult. And this is where the verse that I read last week comes back into play, which is the very last verse of Ephesians 5, which is, however, let... Each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The real reason that your marriage is difficult is because either the wife is not respecting her husband or the husband is not loving his wife. Everything will end up coming down to that because that is the most deepest way that we are sinning in our marriages and stumbling in many ways, connecting with the other passages there. And so one of my principles that I shared last week was choosing love and respect. I'm in a difficult marriage. What do I do? Husbands, you're, you're in a difficult marriage primarily, at least the way you see it, because your wife is this, that, or those. And you still have your marching orders from the Lord, which is that you love your wife as yourself. Remember, this is not... This is, this is not you just doing something for your wife. This is your marching order from God. Wife, same thing. Uh, are you choosing to respect your husband even if he is acting in a disreputable way? These are things that we choose to do. You won't feel like doing it, especially when it's hard and you're in a difficult marriage. One author calls this the crazy cycle, that uh, the husband will say something dumb and hurtful and then she responds by being disrespectful. And then he will continue to be unloving because she was disrespectful to him. And then they consistently and continually blame each other. And nobody knows how this, this whole thing started. And they're on the crazy cycle. And so this author says that somebody in the difficult marriage needs to break the cycle. You can't sit around waiting for the other person to see the light like you think they need to. 
one of you needs to step off the crazy cycle and give the unconditional love to the wife. Or wife, sometimes you need to be the one to step up and show unconditional respect to your husband, even if he's being a doofus. So find the real reason that the marriage is difficult. Um, And then I'd say recognize the radical power of perspective. We can be so small-minded when it comes to difficulties in marriage. I don't have the firm stats in front of me. I wasn't planning to say this, but the... I've seen so much data over the years that say when people report that they are in very difficult marriages and considering divorce, if you check up on those couples five years later who didn't end up divorcing, the vast majority of them end up reporting that they are in a a much better marriage now, that it's turned around, that they got through it, and they're, they're not considering divorce whatsoever anymore. There is so much data in that. When you have such a small perspective and you don't zoom out that you will make a decision that is not only disobedient but you will you will regret it one day at least at least you may and if you don't there's probably a hardness of heart there because this is about your covenantal vows the perspective that you need to take on your marriage even if it's difficult is to go back to your covenantal vows and the vows that you made are as i've already alluded to not just being made between two humans in fact you two are not two equals getting married before God, okay? We have this idea that there's two equals coming together before God. No, this is not the right perspective. You are two inferiors pledging before a superior to do what you said. This is a covenant. This is not just some contract where as long as both parties are getting what they want and are satisfied that both are profitable, that we're going to keep on the terms of the contract. A covenant is so much deeper than a contract. You are making a deep vow, in this case, as an inferior, two inferiors pledging before the superior, the boss, to do what you said. And I am a big, big fan of the traditional Christian wedding vow. I don't think it's a very good practice, and this is a more recent change of view for me, but I'm not, I don't like the trend of making our own wedding vows, that we'll make them unique, we'll write up our own, and I don't like this. I don't think that's a good practice to have. The traditional Christian wedding vow is the vow that that, that states your responsibilities that you are making before God and doesn't let you mess it up with your own words or your own vision based on your super feelings at the time. The traditional Christian wedding vow, and especially if you're already married and you're listening to this, even for a long time, please hear the words of this vow. You could, you probably know it by memory, but reflect on it again. It goes like this. I, blank, take you, blank, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my love and faithfulness. That's the vow. You made some version of that vow at the altar. And that is not, again, a vow between two equals. You're making that vow to a superior. That is a vow you're making to God, to the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who judges sin and wickedness and punishes with hell. 
you want to you want to take your vow lightly you want to think about leaving because it's difficult think of the radical power of perspective scripture is again not silent on this and in first corinthians 7 talks about principles for marriage and the apostle has this to say he's talking about some like what if somebody's a believer one partner's a believer and the other isn't in first corinthians 7 starting at verse 12 he says this to the rest i say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him he should not divorce her if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her she should not divorce him for the unbelieving <clears throat> excuse me for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband i'll stop there the thinking there is that there is covenantal blessing upon christians and that's another whole topic but as long as you are married to somebody and you made those vows even if one of you are a christian and ideally it, this didn't happen because a christian chose to go and marry a non-christian uh, usually the way that this ends up working out is you are both not believers then one converts and is now married to an unbeliever or both were professing believers and one of them ended up abandoning the faith essentially and now you're in a difficult spot what do you do well what Paul is describing, the apostle who wrote this, he's describing a situation that is certainly difficult. Like, it doesn't get much more foundational than I believe in a heaven and a hell and a God who will judge wicked and reward righteousness. Like, it doesn't get much more serious than that. So this is a difficult situation. And yet you are to stay with them, even in that case, because as you still have the covenantal opportunity to reach towards and convert your spouse. God can convert them through your influence. So even if you're you're living with a brute of a man or a devil of a woman, if they're consenting to live with you and they're not leaving the marriage, you stay and you fulfill your duties. You fulfill your duties, like the ones that I talked about earlier, and there's a whole bunch of them. I don't have time to get into all of them, but if you're the man, that you continue to provide for her, you continue to provide safety for her, um, you lead her, you lead the children into the faith. These are the things you're near to her, you lay yourself down for her. And if you're the wife, that you're a nurturing person, that you admire your husband, that you're warm, that you provide for your household, that you serve him, that you submit to him and follow his lead. These are your duties. You're obliged to your duties scripturally. And so whether your spouse is faithful to theirs or not, is not the opportunity for you to now stop doing your side of the vow. Just because your partner is showing themselves to be the unbeliever even by not fulfilling their side of the vows does not give you the right to stop fulfilling your side. Get off the crazy cycle and remember the vow that you took. You guys are both inferiors who made a vow to a superior. Obey the superior, that is God. Uh, on a more practical level, if you are finding yourself in a difficult marriage, I learned this from a pastor in Ohio. He cleared, there's a friend that he has, a guy friend, he cleared this person with his wife who he can tell this man anything that happens in his marriage to his wife. 
They can talk about sex. They can talk about money. They can talk about fights that they had, kids. Nothing's off the table. And so he has somebody that he can go to. And same thing with the wife. There, she has a girlfriend. She cleared her with the husband who she can tell everything to about the marriage and all the difficulties. And that is a valuable practice, I think. You, I, I think more of us should have should look for somebody that we can trust, like another couple, uh, especially if you're younger, an older couple that you can tell anything to or a trusted friend that you can be totally open with to provide input into your thinking. And this person is not here to pat you on the back, to be your emotional support, to just be an echo chamber for you, but they're there to help you think properly about what's going on. I think that's that's good advice. Find somebody that you can be completely open with and clear them with your spouse. You don't want to be disunited on that front. But sometimes difficult marriages are for other reasons too. Like they end up being difficult because of a very grave sin issue. Like they got stuck into an addiction. They're they're drinking and they can't stop. They're in they're they're on a drug, a porn, pornography addiction. Uh, it can be other ways on their on their devices all day long all the time they don't tend to their responsibilities because it, they have to be on facebook 24 7 so they can be falling into horrible addictions too and it can go as far as um what if they're committing adultery and we'll get into the idea of divorce next week but what i'm getting at is if there is a deep sin issue going on intervention may be required and so this is where it starts up by having that trusted couple or friend that you can talk to, uh, you know, make sure you're getting the right perspective, see if there's a blind spot and they can challenge you to fulfill your side of the vow. But it, there's times where you have to take it to the elders of your church. If they are in a pretty grave sin and you can't work it out with your spouse and you're not working it out with, it doesn't work with another friend or a couple, you got it, you got to take it to the church. That's what the church is there for. That's what your elders are there for. You're not telling everyone in the church. You're telling an elder or two. And they're there to help you. They, they have authority from the Lord to do this. That may be required. But this isn't for the purpose of getting out of your marriage. This is for the purpose of reconciliation. This is where you extend grace and concern for a brother or sister who is caught in sin. Repetitive, unrepented of sin. So it's for the purpose of reconciliation. And that should be your mindset in a difficult marriage. Throw yourself onto God's wisdom. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Repent if you have considered divorce. Uh, that's probably another thing that needs to be said. If you've, You will feel tempted at times. Everybody after a fight or after they feel disappointed or they feel scorned or something. Every, everybody who's married has thought about what it would look like to, to leave before. And so even if, if it's in a fleeting moment, repent of considering divorce. Okay, The standard for divorce is extremely high. And we are allowing it and being far too sympathetic for it, even in the church. This is a travesty. And I'm, again, I'm going to talk about divorce next week. But if you're in a difficult marriage, repent even just to the Lord privately for your temptation to desert, to abandon. And even you might have to repent to your spouse themselves about these thoughts. Throw yourself onto God's wisdom. Fall on your vows. You made those vows to a superior. Fall on those vows. Do what you said you were going to do. And I want to end on a slightly more positive note, and that is that you are a missionary to your family. You are. You, you are a missionary. As long as you are in 
As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can be used by God. You're on mission. So even if the rest of your family may not be Christian, may not understand the role that they're supposed to take, the man isn't taking up the mantle of responsibility and leadership, or the wife, she she doesn't respect me whatsoever, and all that. This is where you have the opportunity to be a missionary to your family. And family is, by the way, how we are going to Christianize. We're going to win our culture. We will Christianize our culture one day. And it's going to be through godly, faithful families. We will. We are going to Christianize the West. It's going to happen. We might get severely judged first, but it's going to come through godly, faithful families. So be a missionary to your family, even in a difficult marriage. Jesus is this way to us. This is why there's so much depth in the imagery of the relationship between God and his marriage to the church. It it speaks that way, that it's a marriage relationship. Who's in the most difficult, (laughs) like in a way, you could say that God's in the most difficult marriage that's ever existed. Because if you think about how the church, how we, how much sin, we all stumble in many ways. Like I said, how much sin and how poorly we treat each other and the heresy that we fall into and how we don't obey. And, and God puts redemption in front of us. He's a missionary to us. Jesus is a missionary to us in a way. So that is, I think, something that we need to emulate even in a difficult marriage. So be a missionary to your family. And so that's, I can't say everything that there is to say about this topic. It's a big topic, but I hope this has been helpful. You have been listening to episode 11 of the City of the Great King podcast with Tyler Swatsky. I'm glad you have been here. Consider donating. Go win the nations. Bye-bye.